Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a great one. She's one of the hosts of All Crap, a Hellboy podcast, and a comedian originally from the Philly area, but more recently tearing it up at UCBLA. Kate Thompson is here. Welcome. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, absolutely my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk about today's movie, but first I got to hear about how it all started for you and how you got into horror. Sure. Well, I mean, I feel like I relate to a lot of the guests in that, like I was born in 1988. So like as a kid, you're walking around Blockbusters. It's like glory days of Blockbuster. (laughs) And like besides Blockbuster, even like independent video rental places, like we had Hollywood Video close to me or like... Southampton video was a big one for me growing up outside of Philadelphia in Southampton PA it was just like huge you could rent anything from there and even like if you would go to like Pathmark or something they would have a little section (laughs) at my Pathmark in Warminster they would have a section where it was just like you could go in and rent movies from the grocery store while you were there and so like while I'm there just the the VHS covers of course like are so captivating (laughs) horrifying i just distinctly remember seeing images of them first like pinhead on the cover of hellraiser or like i very distinctly remember april fool's day oh yeah for some reason with the braid going around like braided into a noose classic yeah like you know and like of course like all your standard like classics like freddy on the cover of something scaring the shit out of me (laughs) it's so scary even as you're just like walking around going for something completely different that for your parents to rent for you it like strikes you i think and like leaves this mark on you even before you even watch the movie it's just so scary absolutely so the blockbuster in my town was like right next to the shop right and so i would always beg my parents like while you're food (laughs) shopping let me wander around in Blockbuster. Yeah, I'll stay out of your hair. <laughs> yeah. I won't ask you for anything. <laughs> I won't be like, please, please, please buy me Eggos. Because I'll be over at the fucking, you know, at the Blockbuster. Exactly. It's the best. I would be I would be way too scared to actually rent any of the horror stuff. But you know oh, I yeah. was cruising through those aisles and, and totally. scaring the crap out of myself. Yeah, even like occasionally daring to like pick one up and mm-hmm. read the back and be like, <laughs> Why did I do that to myself? Oh, my God. I'm not going to be able to sleep for a week just reading the back of this VHS cover. Oh, yeah. So funny. So and plus, like, I don't have any. I'm the oldest sibling in my family, but I have friends whose older siblings mm. always had shit. You know, oh, like, yeah. I feel like that. <laughs> older brothers are the true gateways to, like, anything that will uh, just... Fuck your whole day up. Yeah, yeah. It'll just, like, mess you up forever. Like, my friend Mike Clark, specifically, growing up, he is, like, still a huge horror fan. He, like, was obsessed with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. His older brother showed him all of these horror movies. So even as, like, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, I'm, like, watching Texas Chainsaw, like, this movie that's so fucking scary. (laughs) Or, like, a friend of mine, Jenny, whose older brother had all these, like, horror movies who... Movies that, like, aren't even... You wouldn't even call them scary, really, now. (laughs) Like, some of the later Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. And I'm just watching them, like... God, I can't even remember the one where... where They're, like, making a nightmare. They're making, like, a Freddy movie, and Freddy's, like... Oh, New Nightmare. New Nightmare, yeah, New Nightmare. So it's not even scary, but as a kid, you're watching it, you're like, oh, I gotta leave. (laughs) Like, watching it, like, through your fingers scares the shit out of you. So those are, like, early impressions where it's, like, feels so wrong, but you're (laughs) still so captivated, and you have to look at it. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, for me, I grew up Catholic, like, going to church and going to Catholic school and shit. So, like, I feel like that's a big thing for, like, some Catholic kids, like, you just get drawn to the more demented (laughs) aspects of Catholicism. Like, Catholicism's so fucking weird and scary and shit. And, like, you can go to hell. A lot of threats. Yeah, tons of threats. You learn all about the threats as a little kid, (laughs) how you're like... You will go to hell if you... There's, like, the sacrament of reconciliation where you have to tell an adult priest um, all of your sins or else you're going to go to hell, you think, as a little kid. And you're in, you're in like, second grade when you get that sacrament. You're, like, eight years old. So you're like, I better say that I fucking cheated on this test or I am burning yeah. in hellfire. So it's like you're so invested in it as a little Catholic kid because you don't want to go to hell. I think, like, for a lot of people, you quickly realize, like, Oh, like, you're trying to control me or whatever, you know. But, like, that kind of fascination, I think, doesn't go away. And for, I think, for me anyway, made it so that I was, like, captivated by all of this crazy, macabre, bizarre shit. Because it's just, like, imagery that you see growing up in your religion. Yeah. is used a lot in, like, horror movies, like, at least American horror movies. So, yeah, I think that, like, that kind of kind of forms this big, like, ball of... (laughs) bullshit that made me interested in horror. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's very relatable ball of bullshit because <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I did have an older brother and when you find something out that feels beyond your age range, yeah. you know, you can't wait to go to school and tell all your little friends and be like, yeah. look at what my brother told me. Like, I have this inside knowledge. <laughs> oh, you don't know what this word means? Oh, <laughs> let me tell you. Like, you get to be that older brother to all these kids and like totally corrupt everyone else in your grade (laughs) yeah very fun and it's funny to me uh, especially as someone who grew up in the jewish religion to see how many catholics or former catholics have come on the show and been like yeah like i love demon shit just because like i got so warped as a kid (laughs) yes yes because you like have to learn about it and it's like oh, this is, like, evil and bad, but I won't get in trouble for learning yeah. about it. Like, there's kind of this line. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, you get into some shit where you'll get in trouble for it. Like, Ouija boards and shit like that are strictly, mm. like, any kind of witchcraft or whatever. Everything that's, like, the most fascinating sure. to a kid where, like, you're the 12 years old when or whatever when the craft comes out. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. <laughs> it's, like, a mixture of, like, scariness and, like, I'm not allowed to do this. And, like, extreme horniness of being a a teenager just kind of all together make this perfect storm of, sure, uh, you know, and horror gives you, most most of the time, horror gives you all of that. Yeah, play in the sandbox, but not that corner. Yeah, not that. I'm like, oh. Now I gotta see the corner. corner. Yeah, exactly. Um, Is there a specific subgenre that does draw you in more frequently than others? Yeah, I mean... So I, I love this movie that we're going to talk about, Henry, but I feel like typically it, it's like not my usual go to. I, I think I tend to like kind of like monster movies, like werewolf movies and vampire movies and shit like that. Yeah, classic. Yeah, like I was going to I was like, oh, should we talk about like American Werewolf in London or something like kind of these like transformation movies? I just think like with the practical effects, it's so cool and like that's something that horror movies do so well and like so much more often than other kinds of movies and yeah so usually something like that i'm wearing what am i wearing i'm wearing my lost boys t-shirt here oh hell yeah kind of you know like i tend to love like something that's a little funny and has a little like teenage humanity oh we're in this out of control situation and have to deal with it even though we're 15 that's so hard (laughs) and like get killed like i love stuff like that because it's just fun to me yeah absolutely i don't know what genre you would call that i guess monster sure that works for me (laughs) 
But we're talking about a very different kind of monster today. Ooh. Very intense movie today, folks. Uh, we're talking yeah. about the best horror movie ever made, 1986's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, directed and co-written by John McNaughton. This is a wild one, and the way that this movie came out is fascinating to me, because it was just like total happenstance. Yeah. It's 1984. Malik and Walid Ali of Maljack Productions have just hired their video equipment rental company delivery man to direct a documentary for them. Sure, you take it. Sure. <laughs> already a wild start. You got the equipment already. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to think that maybe he like delivered some of that equipment to the wrong people and then yeah. they were like, "Okay, now we can use this." And his documentary was going to be a uh, be about 1930s Chicago gangsters and it was going to be called Dealers in Death. As you do. Mm-hmm. Now, this documentary, it was a success both critically and commercially. So yeah. they said, great, let's keep going through Chicago history. They were using, like, stock footage and yeah. made it for, like, dirt cheap, I think. <laughs> like, it was just like, yeah, just kind of cut this together. And they made some money off of it, which is going to make people want to work with you again. Yeah, why not keep it going? <laughs> yeah. And they said that the next one will be about uh, Chicago's wrestling scene in the 1950s. This was their plan because they'd found a guy who had a big collection of vintage tapes and they were going to buy those from him. But after they secured the financing for the movie, the owner doubled the price, and these producer brothers backed out. And so they already have a director and $125,000, but nothing to shoot. (laughs) So they turned to McNaughton and said, here, you can have this to make a horror movie. Just make sure there's plenty of blood. And what a what a joyful gift to be given as as a horror director, right? For real. You know, he's trying to figure out a, a direction to take because that's not enough money to really do a creature feature or, or aliens or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he saw an episode of 2020 about Henry Lee Lucas, who was a supposed serial killer that operated in Texas. And I say supposed because after admitting to 600 murders and earning the title of the most prolific serial killer in history, an investigation revealed that he had been enticed by the Texas Rangers into giving false confessions in exchange for quality of life improvements like steak dinners, milkshakes, and TV access with memory-refreshing looks. Big air quotes here. Wow. Wow. (laughs) At the documents that he could have pertinent details. And so ultimately... Many of these, they would prove that it was impossible for him to have committed these murders. And he retracted all of the confessions except for the murder of his mother. So the final count that is attributed to him is 11 murders, which is still a pretty serious run. More than I've ever committed. (laughs) Good, good. That was a test. More ambitious than me. Yeah. Oh, you got me. Only 11. This guy's sleeping on the job. I do think that it's really interesting, though, because as this movie explicitly mentions, it's based on Henry, yes, but more about his fantasies. And Mm -hmm. despite the fantastical nature of the claims, he maintains this visual style that he developed in documentary filmmaking, which creates a very authentic atmosphere instead of feeling sensationalized like it is. McNaughton then worked with Richard Fire as a co-writer, and their script shot in 28 days— And because of their shoestring budget, they had to be really frugal. There was lots of family members and friends used as cast members. A classic movie. They're like electrician's car and shit like that. It's like, yeah, just whoever is around. Yeah. It's funny, too, because, you know, that Impala that he drives off in, you know, that's not something that you want to be associated with. It's like, oh, yeah, this was the car that was used as, like, a lure for a murder. Yeah, right. This car could fit a ton of, like, it has a ton of trunk space, I'll tell you that. Let's just say that. Yeah. (laughs) 
Henry himself is played by Michael Rooker, and he would stay in character even off the set, and his wife was like, I don't want to hear how Henry feels about this when she discovered when she was pregnant, <laughs> and just waited out the last couple weeks of the shoot to tell him. Um, that can't be ideal. I even watched an interview where he said he says that about Henry. He's like, it's not the kind of work you want to take home with you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, dude, sounds like it. <laughs> Tom Towles plays Otis, the prison buddy of Henry who he's crashing with. Also based on a real person, Otis Toole. What I mean, look, Michael Rooker, absolutely incredible in this movie. But yeah. the side characters in this also really need to pull a lot of weight because there isn't a ton of characters in it. And mm-hmm. I think that Tom Towles does an incredible job as Otis in this movie. So good. So good. Honestly, it's it's really like the three stars. That That's what blew me away about this movie initially, where I was like, yeah, it is really hard to watch and there's like incredible realism in the movie and it's like shot in 16 millimeter it's just like gritty kind of like close up very personal kind of shots and all this stuff but it wouldn't mean shit without the emotional investment that you get from watching these three actors i i think all three of them do an incredible job yeah tracy arnold is the third playing uh, otis's sister becky yeah also really fantastic and definitely the emotional core of the movie because sure. I mean, Henry himself is very clearly a sociopath, and he's pulling Otis towards that direction as well. And so to have someone who you can at least have some sympathy for is really important in creating a movie that people want to keep watching instead of just feeling disgusted the whole time. Yeah, you need somebody to be emotionally invested in. Like you said, he's a sociopath. He, like, literally has no emotion to attach onto, although he's very convincing when he's taught, like, when he has scenes with her, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, with uh, Beck, the character Becky. Yeah. But it's like, even if it's the truth, it's like this kind of surface level. And, like, I guess that's really the whole movie exploring the level of humanity somebody can even have while being a stone cold murderer. Yeah, absolutely. They filmed the movie in 1985, but they had a really tough time landing a distributor by sending it around, especially since the ratings board was giving them a lot of grief about being X-rated, saying that there were no edits that they could make that would make it an R rating, just because of yeah. the entire like tone of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Vestron did nibble, but they wound up pulling back, fearing a lawsuit over having the characters just straight up named Henry and Otis. So, next up was film festivals. It premiered at the Chicago IFF in September of 1986, and several more throughout the rest of the 80s. And actually, best little horror house in Philly villain Roger Ebert makes his triumphant (laughs) return to the show in a new role today because he loved the movie when he saw it at Telluride. Yeah. And his platform actually brought with it the Atlantic Entertainment's attention. Now, the problem became this X rating because it was associated with porn pretty heavily. So Atlantic said they had to bring it in at an R. And, you know, like I said, the, the ratings board was obstinate. And they said that this was just not... A feasible thing. Yeah. And the movie wound up becoming one of three poster children for the creation of a new rating, much the way that Temple of Doom and Gremlins did with PG-13. Although it was suggested by Ebert as A for adults, The Cook, The Thief, His Life, and Her Lover, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer paved the pathway for the NC-17 rating, Mm -hmm. movies that are for adults but non-pornographic. So a huge part of movie history right here. Yeah. This additional public knowledge of the movie, thanks to the controversy, you know, this is huge news that it's creating a whole new rating, tipped Henry into distribution via Grey Cat Films in an unrated and uncut form in 1990, where it grossed $609,000. 
And I think that it's really interesting that McNaughton credits the MPAA's refusal to budge with the opportunity for the movie to exist as he wanted it, because he said he would have made the cuts to get it released yeah. if they said that he could get an R. So that's fascinating to me. Completely. Like, I, I, there's an interview with him where he talks about how initially the movie was like two hours or something like that, and they chop it way down. And yeah, still the MPAA is like, we object to the... Like in an interview with Joe Bob Briggs, he says that the MPAA told him that they object to the moral tone of the movie. As you said, like <laughs> the entire movie, my man, like this could be, you would have to have like the opening shot, you know, it like sets the tone. Ugh. This movie's never getting an R rating. You no, know? there's, there's no way. It of course has faced a lot of censorship from international ratings boards as well with England, unsurprisingly giving them a notably difficult time uh, across like a decade of various releases of this movie. The reception of the film was also mixed thanks to this controversial depiction and the morality of even creating a movie like this. You know, mm -hmm. there was on one side, you had the classic like Helen Lovejoys of won't somebody <laughs> think of the children style <laughs> consideration um, who they, they think that people are irresponsible imitators and and it just is such a negative view of other people to say that yeah of humanity <laughs> it's um it's it's really awful and on the other hand you have people like Ebert himself claiming that it is more moral than a typical horror movie because it treated the subject matter more realistically the gravitas of the docudrama style lending weight to the horrific actions of the characters and drawing a revulsion reaction instead of laughter, which I think is something that he usually has a really difficult time with in horror movies. His ratings or his reviews tend to be, I didn't like this because I think that it's dealing with an awful situation in a um, tongue-in-cheek manner, and that just doesn't yeah. sit right with him. There were also a lot of comparisons to John Cassavetti's work and hailing this as uh, important, like an important work of art, including by this very show where we're deeming it the best horror movie ever made. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know you know it has like like it has some power when it makes Ebert like he was basically like the MPAA and like theater owners are cowardly. <laughs> like he like he said something along those lines where it was like they're a cowardly and superstitious gut gutless. Lot. <laughs> yeah, it's truly. He was like they're you know, they won't enforce an R rating. Like the R rating's a joke and we know it. So any any kid can get into an R rated movie, but by calling this anything other than R there's, like, no fucking distribution. You lose, like, 90% of any income that you would get from the theater. Yeah. Like, pretty much, like, dooming the movie. But, which I think is a testament to how really moving, like, moving maybe is the wrong word for it because that makes it sound, like, sentimental or something, which I think this movie <laughs> is not in any real way. Right. No, I get what you're saying, though. Like, it, it has an impact on you as a viewer. For sure. Like, I absolutely agree with that thing of, like, uh, the director, like, He's he's kind of said like two things where he's like said that they kind of wanted to capture this very like real version of a serial killer and not give it any kind of uh, like commentary or whatever. But they definitely uh, they definitely do like with scenes where like literally the characters who are murderers are watching like the most horrific scene I think in this movie is seen on the television as recorded on a VHS camcorder by the two killers and where the audience is totally complicit in watching it like we s kind of see it like pan over from this horrific scene on a television over to the two killers lazily sitting on a couch but like totally tuned in to what's happening on the TV and you're just like that 
it's me. That's how I'm sitting right now, you know? And it's so there is commentary, I think, as far as like the, a typical reaction to, and, and like with their tagline and shit, it was like, he's not Freddy, he's not Jason, he's real. Yeah. I think they did want to compare how like a typical movie treats super violence, like, you know? Yeah. Crazy fucking violence for whatever reason. Uh, to me, this does something very similar to funny games. But without the sort of uh, contempt for its audience, I think. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. There's like, there's no real camp or tongue-in-cheek tongue or anything with this movie. I think that's a great way to put it. Where, <laughs> yeah, because they're also, as the filmmakers, I think, are looking at themselves in that way. Like, they're like, we are also a part of this. We're delivering to you bloody fucking circus showcase here. Yeah. And... It's on us as much as an audience, you know, like uh, making something because there's a demand for it. If it's like morally reprehensible, you know, that doesn't remove you from, you know, (laughs) you're part of that. (laughs) Yeah. You're selling us this schlock or whatever. (laughs) But I think that they're like, they're aware of that. And it becomes more of an art piece than just like an exploitation movie when they have that self-reflection. Yeah. and, and, And have these other characters to kind of like be a foil to a complete psychopath, sociopathic killer. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's chilling, man. It's it really chilling. is. I watched, yeah. It's funny, too, because you talk about how they, like, cut it down, like, a lot, yeah. how it was a much longer movie originally. And at the end of this movie, I'm just sitting there thinking, like, thank God. This is as, long, as short as it is, because I don't think I could handle two hours of it. No way. Because it never feels rushed or anything no. like it. It definitely feels like they're taking their time. And that's part of what makes it feel like you're kind of looking over the shoulder of these these actors. I think, like, they're so grounded and their characters are, at least the, like, you know, like, Otis and Becky are somewhat relatable characters. Yeah. Where they've obviously had a very hard life. They kind of, like, Becky talks about growing up, getting, like, raped by her father, and, like, you and Otis ending up in jail. It's like, you can imagine, they didn't have a fucking, like, supportive household that got them to where they are now. So you do feel empath- empathy for them, getting kind of caught up with shit. She's, like, you know, her the father of her child is, like, this abusive guy that we only hear about, and she's kind of running away from all that, her child included. Yeah. It's not like Becky is this, like, shining moral person in this movie. She doesn't have to be. Right. To still be a foil against Henry. But, yeah, she's, the, like, even as an imperfect character, a, she, a very relatable character, which, as you said, is so necessary. Yeah. To, to show this story in, in a way that's, like, doesn't make it exploitative. Yeah. I also think that there's, you know, you talk about how they're not really trying to have, or at least he said he wasn't trying to have a commentary. But I think that there is also a little bit of talk of recidivism and putting people in jail for minor offenses. You know, Otis says that Mm -hmm. he went to jail for drug dealing and in jail, he became friends with Henry who takes him on the path to becoming a serial killer. Yeah. Like Like in jail, he just learns how to become a better criminal. Right. Which is like, you know, you hear about a lot of that happening, not always necessarily like murder, but yeah, it's definitely not unheard of. And so I think that there is a little bit of like commentary on, well, should Otis like, is that the right place for someone like Otis who can maybe have been rehabilitated more effectively outside of that system? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot going on. I was on. thinking about this too. There is there's so, there's so many like layers. Like I want to. Even like, oh, I would be like so sad if I forgot to talk about the score. 
Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it has this, like, thumping bass drum beat and then this kind of, like, discordant piano playing. And it's, it's like, you know, that kind of, like, deceptively simple, like, a bone-chilling kind of a, a score over everything at first. And then there's kind of, like, interlaid in that is, like, this sort of, like, synth sample of like maybe a woman screaming and then you hear like uh like as they kind of like open they show you sort of the aftermath of like these dead victims in the state that they were when henry left them yeah and and you kind of hear over that like sort of like in a ghostly kind of like memory sort of a faded way the like what happened to them like you hear like the the confrontation the like fight the murder henry yelling at whoever to shut up or you know die bitch kind of (laughs) you know kind of shit uh, to like a shot of a woman tied to a sink with a fucking coke half a coke bottle jammed in her just the worst (laughs) like just truly like like letting you you know they are literally showing you but they still do let you use your imagination and imagine like the audience is com- is now you're also complicit cuz you're yeah. you're using your own f- dirty fucking mind to imagine what happened what led up to this point but they're still like bl- blatantly showing you like that's where you get your blood and gore and all that yeah the aftermath mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think that it first of all i think that it is completely unique i don't think i've ever seen any other horror movie handle it this way no it does let your mind do a lot of the heavy lifting to see how they got to that point but it's also interesting that this works really well from a filmmaking on a budget standpoint in that Mm -hmm. they don't have to waste time and money choreographing something less imaginative and more practical because without having to worry about like okay like you're in the middle of this hugely active scene making sure that the camera is getting everything in the shot that it needs to happen, making sure that everyone is hitting their marks. This erases all of that. All you have to do is set up the scene, film it, and then have the sound make us do that work instead. It's such a ingenious move. It feels like there's, there's a place or there was a place in Los Angeles, which like, I think it closed. Even if it didn't close, don't fucking go there because it's bad. But it's the Museum of Death. And I think the owner's, like, kind of a piece of shit. Uh, (laughs) It's, like, come out. Like, wow, big shocker. Like, a guy who (laughs) owns... It's, it's like, basically a museum where you, like, walk through this cramped little hallway. And mostly it's, like, shit, like, serial killer artworks and, like, photographs of actual fucking dead people and murder scenes and, like, baby coffins and all kinds of shit. They're, like, showing faces of death at the end. and, And it's set up, like, a funeral parlor. Like, it's, like... If you like grim shit, I guess, like, whatever, but it's it's so fucking horrible. It's, you're looking... I mean, talk about exploitation. You're fucking looking at actual murder victims and shit. I, yeah, I don't recommend going there if they're even still open. I think that shit got shut down. But watching this movie, felt the beginning of it felt like that. It feels like you're looking at... Although, like, the camera is moving, so you're kind of, like, seeing it as though you're there... But it feels very much like part you, you've stumbled upon this body or something like that. Yeah, the film stock and the documentary style that he had really lends to that. And, and that's yeah. really where it kind of plays into the movie in such an effective way, especially since this is so early on that setting that tone is really crucial. Ugh. Yeah, it's so, so good. That's what I, I like took notes while I rewatched it today. And I was like, thank God it's only one hour and 17 minutes long. <laughs> Le- legitimately, like that is the case. Yeah. And then we see it like, you know, the first time we see Henry, he's just fucking finishing up a meal at a diner. and Classic greasy it. spoon. Yeah, just like, I, I mean, it looked delicious, dude. I fucking <laughs> love diners. I miss them so much. Yeah. But yeah, they're, you know, he's like. 
hi, that's a really nice smile you got there to the, well, you know, to the waitress behind the counter and like goes off. And then it's just more shots of his fucking mayhem, like yeah. liquor store owners both killed and stuff. You kind of see this uh, little montage of him mm, picking a victim, like oh my gosh, outside this of a mall. Mall parking lot scene is terrifying to me. You know, it made me want to go buy a taser. Dude. Like <laughs> it ma- I was like, oh shit, I don't own like pepper spray. Like yeah, you know? it's it's. <laughs> It's wild, you know, this is a moment where he's watching them, waiting to see who looks vulnerable, choosing someone and following her home. And this is just not even, first of all, yes, I get scared about this too. But for women in particular, the idea of this dude just waiting, just waiting for someone to let their guard down a little bit. Yeah. Is absolutely petrifying. And it's it's, it's a fucking real thing. Like, you know, I, I remember... When I was a kid, me and my mom and my sister went to, like, a Walmart. And I'm in the Walmart, like, looking at super soakers and shit. Like, in, like, the toy section. And this guy, I I was maybe 10, 12, something like that. This dude's, like, lurking in the aisle. And he reaches kind of, like, over my head to get something, to get grab a super soaker or whatever. And even as a little kid, like, you're the back of your, like, I was, like, lucky not to have had any horrible things happen to me up to that point in my life. So I'm like, but even as a kid, you're like, hairs go up in the back of your neck. I'm like, I got to find my sister. I got to find my mom. Yeah. This dude is fo- following me as I find my sister. I find my sister. I find my mom. I'm like, this guy's following us. We get the fuck out of the Walmart, <laughs> you know? But it's like, that shit's real. Like, it's so, you know, it's just like women putting their keys in their, between their fingers like Wolverine and yeah. shit like that. Like, that is, and it felt very real, too. And you kind of, without him saying a word, you see his selection process. He's finding a woman who's by herself. And as she goes home, she gets out and starts talking to, um, like, a man comes out of the house and starts talking to her. And he's like, ah, pulls away. Cause he he's like I can't murder her right now. Like yeah. there's a guy that that'll be like just a little harder. Yeah, too much work. <laughs> yeah, he like murders men, but you see him like the convenience factor going into his decision making there. Yeah, like where he's like I eh, I I don't have like you know it's, maybe I don't have the tools <laughs> that I need to do that right now or something. It's such a shock to like you say go from him interacting fairly normally with this waitress. Yeah. to just the the icy coldness that emanates off of this scene. It is such a shift and it really lets you see the mask that Henry has. I think that it's interesting that they show us the mask first so that it's scary when it drops instead of having to like see him as this killer first and then be like, Oh, well, He's able to do this mask. It, the, switching that order is really interesting. Oh, yeah. You're so right, dude. It's huge. Like, there are so many fucking layers to this movie that really, like, you know, I, after the first time I watched it uh, a couple years ago, I was like, I never have to watch that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But I'm glad, you know, watching it again today, I'm like, damn, this is just such a fun. And I loved it the first time I watched it, too. I was like, that was incredible. I'm going to give that a little space yeah. to, like, let that movie air out. Yeah. The, the, some, sometimes the best movies are that way. Way, you know, yeah, where you have to right. just be like, eh, maybe a couple there's, years. There's a half life for me <laughs> coming back to this thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is still fucking radioactive to me here. Yeah, uh, um, Prisoners was yeah. that way for me. The Denis oh, Villeneuve yeah. one. Oh my oh, god. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> it's getting to be more and more. I feel like my threshold for like what. <laughs> freaks you know as like maybe death becomes more yeah. real as you get oh. older or something <laughs> i'm just like 
Oh, I can't. I, I got it. <laughs> My like threshold is becoming lower and lower. I still watch this shit. Yeah. I just get fucking nightmares. You know? <laughs> the worst part about this, though, is that he leaves this woman alone when he yeah. sees the dude there. And then he just finds a hitchhiker on his way to yeah. Chicago. He finds someone else to kill anyway. Just plenty. Yeah, yeah, he's like, I got, you know, I'm on the road. I, maybe I don't have all my things at my, at my disposal, my tools or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And yeah, picks up the hitchhiker. The movie reveals this in such a way. We've already seen the blood and gore. So we never see him like strangle her, or do whatever the fuck. He just shows up at his apartment and has the guitar with him and gives it to him as a gift to his friend. Yeah. That's like how they review Like you as the viewer are like, that chick is, in, she's in a ditch. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Yeah. And like an art, artful way, Henry will talk about this later, n- only using one like means of murdering someone once and then moving on to another one so that you're not setting a pattern and being detectable by police. Right. In that same way, the movie is like revealing to you in kind of different. It's showing you violence in the aftermath of the violence in different ways. It's, yeah. Keeps it's it. Keeps it. Varying. Unfortunately, it keeps it fresh. <laughs> right. Right. Keeps it fresh. Keeps. Yeah. So you're not as the audience. I feel like if they showed it in the same way, you might become desensitized to it. Yeah. But no, it just it's awful tearing, every single time. Tearing that scab off. <laughs> yeah. So we finally meet Otis, a friend of Henry's he met in jail, busted for de- dealing drugs. He's picking up his mm-hmm. sister, Becky, at the airport. They haven't seen each other in a while, but he says that she looks terrible and she breaks down in tears. It turns out that she is a former dancer and she has just left her abusive husband, Leroy, leaving her daughter, Lurleen, with their mother. And she's going to stay with Otis and Henry a while and earn some money to send for her. Now, Henry meets her and, again, is exceedingly polite. Mm -hmm. And this is where we see the mask kind of get thrown back up. We see him interact positively with people, even. Becky likes him. When he goes out to earn some money by spraying for bugs, like, the boss clearly likes him. He gives him a bunch of money as, like, a deposit. Yeah, he's like, here, this is a retainer. Yeah. I don't have any work right now, but I'll call you up. And then the fact that Henry is so opportunistic, the fact that he uses this spray can that he just got as a way to gain access to a woman's home where he strangles her is just awful. The woman who he followed back, like, he can use this now, this tool... Not only to convince her that he's, like, trustworthy and just going around soliciting for his, like, pest control, but he can knock on the door, see, hey, is the man of the house around or whatever? We don't hear any of this shit, but you know that's what he's fucking doing. He's knocking on the door, seeing if the dude's home. Oh, he's not? Well, can I tell you a little bit about my bug spray (laughs) service or whatever the fuck? Yeah. And then it just cuts to her with the fucking thing wrapped around her neck, dead on the chair. The slow reveals are just agonizing. Oh, man. Uh, Back at home after a hard day dealing gas, both petroleum and drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Otis reveals to a curious Becky that Henry's crime was killing his mother, supposedly with a baseball bat. Otis leaves Becky alone with Henry while he goes out to make a run, which immediately... Like raises our hackles as an audience because we're yeah, like, Otis oh, doesn't give fuck. a fucking shit about you. First of all, yeah, <laughs> Otis is it like at first he kind of like has these little like jibing sort of jokes at her when he's picking her up from the airport where it's like, okay, maybe their relationship is just like he like jokes too hard. He's like he doesn't know when to stop. Mm-hmm. But then yeah, he leaves her alone with Henry. He doesn't give too much of a shit about this. Sister being with a known murderer, you know. Yeah, and yeah. we as a viewer are also like, hey, leave her the fuck alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, 
Right. She's going through some hard shit. Yeah. Uh, They play cards, and she asks a bunch of personal questions where he reveals some of his background, or at least as much as we're able to surmise that it's the truth. This is kind of an interesting question because we'll see that he changes his story uh, not only when Becky responds about like asking like asking follow up questions about the murder weapon, but even what he says there is different than what he told Otis. Yeah. So there's a question of how much of it is true, how much of it is a fantasy. I think that this is sort of playing into that sensationalized aspect that I was talking about earlier. Is any of it true? Is this all fantasy mm-hmm. for him? But um, you know, it is it is just a, a really interesting thing that's never really brought into the foreground of the movie. They're never like, you yeah. should really be questioning Henry, but it's just there for you to pick up on. Yeah, and we never have like any kind of flashback to the moms or you know, his mom or anything like that. For for me, my immediate interpretation is he for at least for Henry in this movie. He kills so often, you know, he might kill women for convenience because he clearly kills men as well. But I think like a majority of his victims are women. And maybe he's like almost like confusing in his head. Like some of the women that I'm killing, I'm killing for like the sins of my mom. Mm -hmm. If I, you know, I may have killed my mom and I did it with whatever, stabbing her, whatever. But then as he's telling the story, he says like, and then I shot her. Yeah. You know, he may have shot another woman who in his mind is like very representative of his mom and all Mm. of the like uh, things that she's committed yeah transposed it onto her totally like i I think maybe he might not even be lying about killing his mom and like the things that happened to him yeah that doesn't to me you know a lot of people are abused and like have to go through horrible childhoods and don't grow up to become serial killers (laughs) i don't think that automatically makes you a serial killer and therefore doesn't automatically make us as an audience sentimental to him right i think it like Maybe it might normally if if you don't watch the rest of the movie, I guess. <laughs> if you just watch that scene. Right. If you just watch that scene. Because just Michael Rucker is so fucking good in this movie. He, he really... He's terrifying. He's so horrifying. And still feels... There are moments in this movie where you can see him shrink down and become small in a way that, at least for Michael Rooker, in his mind, as he's portraying this character, I think he does think that his mother did these horrible things to him, like had sex with these random men and made uh, Henry watch. Humiliated him, yeah. Yeah, humiliate him, dress him in a dress or whatever, which for, you know, for this man at that time is like the most horrible thing that you could do to a kid and just emasculate this boy and stuff like that. So I think that like you see moments of that reflected later, like in little moments that we'll talk about down the road, mm-hmm. him telling this story. I think, I think he's being as truthful as he can. Yeah. And I think that, that there's like a genuine confusion in, in his mind almost where he's like, yeah. And then I shot her. Like he's telling the story of killing his mom, but he's telling the story of killing his mom like 12 times mm. with all these other women dying. At his wow. Hand. Great point. Classic projection. Yeah, tell, yeah. I mean, it might be oversimplification. I think, like, but like, I was like, oh, this feels like. No, I think you you're know, totally right. Straightforward, but <laughs> I feel, you know. Um, and Becky responds with some abuse stories of her own, and this mm-hmm. kind of creates a bond between the two of them. But he yeah. is clearly uncomfortable with this bond that she clear or this attachment that she clearly feels to him, even if it's just like a we're both wounded kind of way. Yeah, and I think he, like, he's polite to her and stuff like that. I think he sees that she, I mean, maybe he doesn't see it quite yet. Yeah, there is an attachment where it feels like he has two feelings. Like, he, with most people, he can put on the mask, as you said. He can, like, control their perception of him to a degree. Mm -hmm. Where he's like, I am a nice 
gentlemanly, normal guy. Um, so I think he can, he sees that he can do that with Becky, but he also has revealed a lot about himself, which he initially didn't intend to do. It's like Otis spilled the fucking beans <laughs> about his mom. So he's like, okay, I'll, you know, he's taken a little off guard and he, he tells the truth, whether he was like prepared to or not. And he like puffs so himself he, up when he does it. Yeah. He like, like gets back into it. He feels attacked yeah. by the question and really leans into trying to scare her a little bit. It feels right. like that's his trying to regain control to me. Like he didn't allow her to know that information. She found it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that makes his like wall go up and makes him immediately like more threatening. There's so much like at play here. And I think that Michael Rooker is just like acts it extraordinarily like, does it so good. And I think that he's also scared that she still has this connection to him even after seeing the not mask side of him. Yeah. That yeah. that's a big deal for him, I think. Yeah, she's got bad taste in men, dude. <laughs> you know. Sure does. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Otis continues to make Becky feel bad for her past as a dancer. Like you said, he's he is certainly joking very hard at the very least. And Otis actually tries to kiss her. And Henry grabs him by the hair real quick mm-hmm. and makes him say that he's sorry and he won't do it again. And it is interesting to me that even for Henry, there like are lines that he won't cross. Like he sees himself as having some kind of code where yeah. he's not interested in like the sexual assault aspect that tends to go into these kind of things. You know, when we see Otis manhandling a corpse later, that he also stops mm-hmm. him there. Um, it is just an interesting dynamic for him to be so interested in the killing, but b- perhaps because of the sexual element of his relationship with his mother just like completely shutting that out he's just not interested that's him like getting drawn back to that time when he had no control whether his mom would abuse him and make him do shit that he didn't want to do he was too young to do anything about it i mean until he's 14 which is still pretty young yeah when he says that's how old he says he is when he kills his mom but like yeah any of that sexual stuff that starts happening anytime there's anything sexual like you said he shies away Mm -hmm. it's him in his mind losing control again like he doesn't have control over that aspect of shit he doesn't like understand it it makes him like flinch Mm -hmm. almost you know yeah and otis and henry sulk at each other over this confrontation but becky gets them to make up by agreeing to go get a beer while she does the dishes and I gotta say, I love Otis's shirt when he goes to get changed <laughs> to go out. Yeah, yeah. He has this, like, blue, silky kind of situation. Yeah, that's a classic Dan Flash shirt for... Uh... Oh, yeah, Dan Flash is... Oh, they're complicated. It's yeah. a complicated shirt. Beautiful. Must be so expensive. The, you know, the more the more complicated, the more expensive I hear, so... <laughs> These guys look just like me. I fucking yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh! I also wanted to tell you too, like, um, what you said earlier about his fantasies coming in, like Henry's fantasies coming into play so much. If you look at the original art by Joe Coleman, who did the original poster for the movie, it got like shut down because like everything about this movie you ever do was like that's <laughs> too much. Didn't want to touch it. Yeah, I don't like it. Like the official poster now is like. Michael Rooker looking in a mirror and like kind of looking back at us, which is all well and good. And it's, that's kind of similar to what the Joe Coleman illustrated poster is, except you have all these like psychedelic kind of depictions of murders that Henry's committed. And There's like, like organs body and parts shit, yeah. And, yeah, organs. It reminds me of like, um, if you've ever seen the book for American Psycho, mm. there's like a lot of drawings, like hand-drawn illustrations and shit. Another like sociopathic murderer who's like fantasizing about body parts and all this stuff. Yeah. 
Um, that's what the original poster reminded me of. So if you guys are like into this movie, you know, Google Joe Coleman's original poster art. It's cool. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fits right in creepy. with the movie. Exactly. That night after their beers, Henry and Otis pick up some prostitutes. And this is the first time we actually see Henry in action as he kills them by breaking their necks. Mm hmm. And Otis freaks out, but Henry is cool as a cuke, saying, I don't know nothing about nothing, do you? And this line delivery, holy shit, just sets me totally on edge. It is such a clarifying moment in here yeah. when you see how unemotional he is, even in this heat of the moment. You know, it's one thing to see him, like, picking out his victim, but even for this to have given him so little is terrifying. It makes it feel like it's nothing for him to do these things. Like, that it just means absolutely nothing. He'd kill you as soon as a fly. Yeah, and he, it even scares Otis, who's, like, friends with him Yeah, after knowing he's killed someone, yeah. Yeah, and uh, later on, they're sitting around, and Otis has calmed down a little bit. Henry offers him some fries, and uh, first of all, great scene where he takes the whole thing yeah <laughs> whole he thing like rides. he like he kind of says no at first henry's like come on like kind of talking to him coaxing him to like accept this it's normal we're eating fries now yeah he eats one fry and then he take grabs a bag of fries <laughs> otis is just like a man of like earthly desire like he, mm. you know he's not like thinking too much about simple shit. he's a simple yeah, guy a simple guy exactly portrayed in a great way yes i also really love that even though this is a moment where verbally they are talking about how he hasn't done it yet he's not he says he's not interested in killing people but otis and henry move in complete sync as they drink their coffee and this is maybe i have my tinfoil hat on here who knows maybe <laughs> i'm reading too much into this but it feels to me like a way to draw the parallel ahead of time and say yeah otis has this in him they're the exact same person basically um, yeah. that even their minor movements are reflected in each other. Totally. I think you're totally right. Two, at least two tinfoil yeah. hats. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm crunching mine onto my head right now, man. Back at their apartment, Henry continues to bring Otis over, saying you had no choice, but it's nothing new. It's you or them at the end of the day. And Otis just says, yeah, mm -hmm. and drops the argument as they share the last beer. Yeah. Which I also love how these two, as siblings, like I love the choice to make them siblings, uh, Otis and Becky. You see how they deal with Henry, a violent psychopath. Like they clearly had a violent, crazy father. Yeah. Who abused the shit out of at least Becky. So you can assume that like some of that might have gone Otis's way. Yeah. Uh, whether it was sexual or not, at least like uh, in a, some kind of violent, controlling way. Mm -hmm. So you see how they. Uh, how the they are as adults kind of placating this big scary guy yeah he's like a he's intimidated henry's very intimidating he's like a powerful protective figure to both of them kind of but he's also extremely violent and you see how they're kind of like they both go like yeah okay okay oh i'll, I'll do the dishes uh, okay yeah they've seen uh, the the lengths that he'll go and at the moment He's on their side, but how long yeah, can that last? Exactly. Uh, there's an amazing Chicago accent as this racist lady complains to Becky at her job. <laughs> Dude, that the day players in this shit are so cool. Like the Chicago, the Chicago we act like this movie has like a pickle on it, dude. Like it's so fucking Chicago. -y. It's crazy. It's very fun. And uh, Otis, he's back at home while Becky is is working. And I think that that is also, uh, you know, you see Otis later talking about how his hours have been cut back and everything, and all this free time. Probably not great for him to be just sitting around having nothing mm -hmm. to do. But Otis uh, kicks the screen of the TV in when the reception refuses to cooperate. And he says, I have got to have a TV, Henry. 
<laughs> so Henry takes him to a fence. And this fence, again, you know, talk about these day players absolutely killing it. Yeah. So funny. Mocks them for showing up with only 50 bucks and expecting to get a color TV. And the whole time, the, like, his attitude towards them is so funny. And for Henry and Otis to, like, be trying to at least last through the conversation to get a TV and, like, hold their patience. And he is clearly trying them. It's incredible. This scene is so good for some... Okay, so you mentioned earlier how they had all of this, like, stock footage of these of the gangster movie stuff. That's from this actor. This dude's name is Ray Atherton. If you look him up in IMDb, unfortunately, it's just a picture of him with the TV fucking slammed on his head. <laughs> it's not even, like, his face. Oh, it's man. It's the fucking bloody TV on him. <laughs> but he's, he's, like, this guy who, like, kind of was that guy. And, like, to hear the director talk about him, he, he like, provided all of that footage and stuff like that. He, like, really did have all these counts of, like, piracy against him and <laughs> shit like that. He was kind of like a fence, like a sort of like an illegally operating dude. Yeah. With TVs and shit. So another like glorious moment. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when whenever McNaughton kind of talks about this, the juxtaposition like uh, between this murder and other murders, like this guy kind of has it coming uh, to the audience. Like, sure. They they set him up where he's such an asshole. He's funny as shit. Oh, my yeah. God. He's like. <laughs> Like, he's like, plug that TV in. Otis goes, he's like, plug it in here. Ah, I see you had some college. <laughs> yeah, right there. Like, you know, he's like being a total asshole to them. And like earning it, you know, like he's like, in so many horror movies, we see that where like somebody just gets theirs. Yeah. And you like kind of want Henry and Otis to take care of him. And it delivers. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. look, I won't say it feels like a very Philly attitude to me, but. It feels a little like a Philly attitude to me. I a really enjoy bit, it. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny, dude. I feel like that's really it. It's like that—that's the Chicago Philly connection. Yeah. It's like, it's like a, a little less Italian and a little more Polish and German, but it's exactly the same. It's the same simpatico for sure. Um, and so, of course, they do in fact kill him, stabbing him with a soldering iron, then choking him, and then smashing a TV on his head, and then Brutal. turning it on to electrocute him. And this whole time, Otis is being encouraged by Henry. So he really gives over completely and is actually the one who strikes the final blow here, which is notable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is also another moment where the score uh, itself is really fantastic. It really jumped out at me in this scene, um, especially like the slowing thump that feels like a mm -hmm. heartbeat. Um, really great stuff. Yeah, that's definitely like us as the audience hearing it. Like we know, we know who these guys are. They're just fucking like tigers waiting to kill this guy at this point. Yep. He's just gone way overboard. And also the edit from the TV being smashed to <laughs> it's a it's a song from the Sonics called Psycho and, and it's show like and it's showing you them with their brand new camcorder that they've stolen from this guy. That thousand dollar camcorder. Thousand dollar camcorder. I'll give it to you for five hundred bucks. They're like, oh well, we weren't looking to pay that. But it's such a funny. It's I mean, it shouldn't be funny. It's also fucking sick and demented. But as far as this movie goes, it's about as funny as you're gonna get. Oh yeah. Um, and they also make off with a color TV, which they are very pleased mm -hmm. about. But yeah. they use this camcorder to make a video for Lurleen in which Henry and Becky smooch, uh, although Henry gets frustrated with Otis shoving the camera in his face. Yeah. And it is very interesting to me that this is such a kind of like cliche moment where it's like, oh, we just got the new camcorder. Time to gather the family around right. and like shove it in everyone's face and make them say <laughs> hi to the camera. For that to be happening with this disjointed family of Henry, Otis, and Becky, it's fascinating that this dark path that they're going down 
is like a way for them to connect. Yeah, you said it. It's like it's just mirroring something that so many families were doing. And, you know, Becky's kind of like putting her hand up to the camera like, no, no, no. Henry is getting more and more frustrated, especially, again, we see him react in a closed up way to like any kind of like thing that could be perceived as sexual interaction. Yeah. Like Becky trying to kiss him and he immediately kind of like recedes and shuts down and like sits down, doesn't want to get like filmed anymore. Yeah. But, you know, Becky's kind of doing it semi in a cute way, semi in trying to keep the peace, you know, the the kind of like uh survival tools that you learn when you have an abusive father like kind of shit. Like yeah. being like, it's okay to ha- turn the camera off. Yeah. Like sees that Henry's pissed. Yeah. It's a very another like super interesting scene. When Otis is punched in the face by a teenager that he tries to molest while selling him weed, he tells Henry that he wants to kill him. And Henry <laughs> explains that he's too linked to that kid. So why don't the two of them go for a ride so that he can kill somebody? This scene where they fake the broken down car. Holy Hell shit. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, you so succinctly put that whole, because that's like a couple of <laughs> scenes where it's like, holy shit. Like, way to go with getting that all in there. Very, it, that was incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then, and then, yeah, the scene that follows where he's like, yeah, Henry's like, like kind of showing Otis the ropes of killing people where he's like, yo, you're too closely connected. Let's kill this guy. They pop the hood on the side of the road. Nice guy pulls over. Hey, having some car trouble? Pays the price. Yeah, pays the fucking ultimate price. Henry even, like you said earlier with the TV stuff, he's continuing to go to Otis and be like, do I have to help you? Do you need help? Yeah. Otis pulls out the gun, pops the guy a couple times, and they drive off happy as clams. Yep, they sure do. Uh, (laughs) And Henry continues to give him some killing advice, saying that the pattern is what gets you caught, as you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Switching it up, the murder method makes them think it's multiple murderers, so that that and keeping the victims random, that's how you stay a step ahead. And this yeah. is while they're calmly recording someone get mugged in the park. And again, yeah. this like crazy back and forth of like his attitude and the environment that they're in is mm-hmm. so powerful as an audience to just be like, I feel like the cognitive dissonance makes you feel like you're going crazy. Right. Oh, and also like like how you said how the real Henry admitted to all these like murders that he didn't actually commit mm-hmm. for whatever milkshakes and shit. You kind of see that you, like you see how the real Henry must have talked about those things later where he's like just lying his ass off being like, yeah, then I wouldn't get caught if I did it all these different ways. But when they made the film, they thought that that was real. They thought he was like some kind of fucking murderous genius. Yeah. And he's like, and they incorporate that into the character of Henry, which makes him that much more horrifying. Yeah. He's like that calculating about it. He also explains to Otis that you have to keep moving. That's also part of this plan and that he's going to be leaving Chicago soon. And he says that Otis can come with him. But Otis is still hesitant, and uh, I like that Henry retorts, no plan is perfect, he says here. Yeah, yeah. What if they come, what if my parole officer comes to check on me in my job? Yeah, no plan's perfect. (laughs) Poe buddy's nerfing. Yep. You know? This now leads into what is potentially the most distressing scene, where, you know, we're watching this tape, like you say, of the home invasion, Mm -hmm. and... What makes it so awful for me is not just the sort of drawing us in as complicit, but also the fact that there is so clearly no hope for the family because it's already later that night and they've clearly gotten away. Um, So everything is just awful on the tape. You know that there is no escaping. Yeah, like the the opening of this movie was like the fucking thesis sentence for this shit. Mm -hmm. Like where it's like you were seeing the aftermath 
And yeah, there's you're so helpless. Like you said, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's also, again, a reflection of the recording earlier where that was more light and hopeful and indicative of a classic family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a recording for Becky's daughter. And Henry was playing as nice as he could. But in this one, Henry is kicking the shit out of a man with a bloody pillowcase on his head while Otis molests the wife. Like, it's yeah. just so the dregs of humanity in this moment. Yeah, yeah. absolutely awful. And then for the, uh, when you, as the audience think, this couldn't get fucking worse, <sighs> their teenage son opens the door, sees what's happening, and is immediately accosted by Henry. He just jump, pa- jumps on him, starts pounding on him. It, and you just like, oh. It's so awful, too, because Henry drops the camera, which up to this point has been moving around. But so we see the whole thing from the floor completely immobile, and it really makes you feel powerless. Otis kills the mom while Henry kills the kid, and then Otis still kisses and molests the corpse while Henry finishes off the dad. Um, Otis uses the corpse as a puppet as well before... um, he gets sexual with it again, to which Henry uh, finally reacts strongly negatively. And, you know, Otis is rewinding this. This is when we pull out and we see that this is them watching it on their couch. And Otis is just rewinding it so that he can watch again, this time in frame by frame. It's just awful. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Henry's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I want to watch it again. And like, I was I was watching an interview too with the so Lisa Temple is the woman who plays the mom and that was I think they're I'm pretty sure that's the, her real husband on the floor in with the fucking pillowcase on his head wow and this was her first uh, part this was her first acting wow ever and oh, they God. like dis- they yeah I know horrible like and they kind of described what they were gonna do of course they like it seems like they wanted to give her like ample warning but I think you know she kind of talks about it in a way where it's like. I couldn't really have prepared myself enough for this yeah. part. You know, it was horrifying. And, like, luckily they didn't have, like, full-blown fucking necrophilia, ab- you know, like they might have done in a longer movie or something. But, like... Or or ca- just in a movie that is less concerned with having something to say. If it had leaned more yeah. into that exploitation aspect, it's very easy to see that scene going a you different very route. Well, very well might have. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and so they, like, thankfully kind of, like, stopped that. But she was, like, just checked out, they said. Like, they had to, I think they took her to the hospital or something afterwards just to be, like, because she was just, like, jarred by it. And I was, like, yeah, that would be fucking horrible. (laughs) Yeah, totally, lady. Like, sorry that that was your fucking first movie. Oh, God. I can't believe you have more credits. It can only go up from there, I guess. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's like, oh, man. The worst is over. Brutal. Totally brutal. And, yeah, the whole aspect of, like, us watching it with them, you know, m- like, me a blob on the couch watching them be blobs on the couch while they while they watch their murder is, it's crazy. Yeah. So effective. Becky calls her daughter to keep up the lie about why she's gone, which this is also the first time we notice that she is lying about why she's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's guilted by her mother about being away from her daughter. Meanwhile... Otis and Henry argue after their camera gets destroyed while Otis is ogling and filming women from the car and then throws the baby out with the bathwater and chucks the whole damn thing. Their usual smooth over of a beer doesn't fly this time. (laughs) No. (laughs) And Henry kicks Otis out of the car while he returns to the apartment where Becky says that she quit to go home with Lurleen. And I think that having sort of the ties sort of disintegrate as Henry is preparing to leave Chicago. Um, 
it's easy to see that maybe part of the reason why he keeps bouncing around is less because of equally as part of keeping ahead of them as he can only stand to be around people for so long. Yeah. She Becky asks Henry to go with her and, and that it's going to be tomorrow. And he says that he'll think about it. And in the meantime, they'll go out for a steak dinner with what is presumably that murdered family's visa card. Yeah. He's like, I got a new visa card. <laughs> I want to test out. I'm like, oh, Ooh. Uh, they get home later and Otis is passed out with the murder tape still playing. And Becky tries to seduce Henry and he is just hella uncomfortable here <laughs> like yeah um yeah the score is cool though in this moment as well this is another great score moment absolutely yeah he like really tightens up and like she's already like got her shirt off and is trying to like undress him and he's too he's just completely frozen breaking down yeah um and he feels totally cornered when suddenly otis enters to ask if he's interrupting anything uh, and this is the moment that Henry was waiting for because he uses this as an excuse to head out for a walk and some cigarettes. And Becky is really disappointed. Like, it's especially awful because we see Otis leer at his sister before asking her to get him a beer, which is the same line that he tried last time he made a pass at her. Yeah. Now, because Henry is so frazzled, he, first of all, doesn't think to uh, have even this protective, uh, like, feeling that he had towards Becky. Anything, right. Yeah. Um, but also, usually he's pretty pleasant with the people that he interacts with who he's not going to kill, the, the service industry people in particular, and a way to yeah. uh, avoid standing out. But in this moment, when the cashier says, hey, how about those bears? Uh, he says, fuck the bears. And the guy's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, wait, lets Henry leave and then says, okay, like... <laughs> It's so funny. I, I was like, that just like took me back to all my old bad jobs. You have to interact with another person. And you're just like so used to getting shit on where you're just like, yep. That sounds right. right. Yep. I work the midnight shift at a convenience store in the middle of Chicago. Yep. That's People how it goes. tell me to go fuck myself. Yeah. Hey, I used to work um, the like very, very late shift at a Wendy's for my summer job. And oh, yeah. I got told to fuck myself a lot when you I tried to ask it. people it's if like, they wanted. How are you guys so mad? Yeah. You just want chicken nuggets. <laughs> how are you going to treat me like this? I'm like, uh, I like have to ask, do you want to like make that a larger size? And they get very angry. Good Lord. <laughs> Every, just, people know, too. They know what is entail, like what it entails, the job like that. Yeah. Like people get so People need to shut the fuck up. <sighs> anyway, sorry, just that event this about that. This made me hate yeah. Henry. This made this now you just the that's final the last straw. straw, Henry. <laughs> you fucking asshole. This was it. Um, he runs into a woman walking her dog on the way back. It's a mutt named Dolores. Very funny joke, in my opinion, about the Heinz yeah. Fifty Seven varieties. Yeah. <laughs> and he's Henry's like, what? He's, she's like, it's a mutt. Yeah. Like this lady is very funny too. He thinks about killing her. And he looks around and walks after her, but he just isn't feeling it, still confused by what happened with Becky, and leaves her alone to walk down a quiet street. And again, there's this pit in your stomach where you're like, it so easily could have gone the other way. Yeah, if he, any other night, he would have been like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, this would be so easy, no witnesses, whatever. Yeah. But he's like, uh, maybe I better go check on, like, I think Henry leaving Becky alone with Otis, he knows what Otis likely will do yeah. to me like that's kind of like he uh, should he leave her to this fate or not mm -hmm. he kind of decides uh you know what maybe i'll go see that might be more interesting to me at this moment yeah well it's a good thing that he rushes back because he finds otis raping and strangling becky and henry beats him off of her yeah 
Uh, Otis grabs a liquor bottle and smashes it over Henry's head, which, again, kind of feels a little bit like a callback to the familial relationship that they have sort of built here and the way that Henry says that his mother hit him with a with a liquor bottle, and that was the last straw for him. So that feels like a little bit of a connection there as well. Yeah. And he's about to shoot Henry when Becky stabs him in the eye with a comb, which is Ooh. just... The fucking, like, rat tail comb Holy right shit, eye. yeah. Crazy. Just awful. Fulci would be proud. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> There's your blood and guts. Yeah. Henry gets up as Otis wails in the corner... And he takes the comb and he stabs Otis a bunch with it. And the score is pulsing like mad, finally fading out as Otis does as well. Now, Henry cuts Otis up in the bathtub, which is just disgusting sound design. This is maybe the most effective moment where it's just the squelching. Yeah, it was just like I was watching it with the captions on and the caption is just like uh uh, sound of body parts. Or it was like, it just like didn't know. It was like, we don't know how to describe this. Oh man. The guy's getting cut up in the top. All right. Yeah. Like, it's, you know? it's nasty. And we see the severed head before they drop him in the river and leave Chicago for Henry's sister's ranch in San Bernardino. Again, sure, heavy air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> That's like where you send your dog when it yeah. dies and you tell your kid, like, we're going to a big farm. <laughs> I sent I sent your dog to live with Henry's sister. Yeah, he's embryoed. You know, she's got half a dozen horses. Yeah, and they say that they'll send for Lurleen when they get there. Ugh. Now Becky says, "I love you, Henry," and staring straight ahead, completely flat, he responds, "I guess I love you too." Awful. Just yeah. This moment Incredible of Becky line. opening up and like really bearing her herself to Henry, and yeah. for him to. Be so obviously not interested and only thinking of a way to escape the situation. Um, it's tragic. It's a really tragic moment when you see what's coming and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, totally awful. Yeah. They stop at a motel and the next morning, Henry leaves the motel alone, gets in the car and stops only to, to dispose of Becky's suitcase. Now soaked in blood in a ditch as we hear a little of the struggle again. Uh, before heading off completely untethered once more. And for them to go back to this sound design choice of sort of the aftermath thing as one last little gotcha, when yeah. up to this moment, the last few have been more real time. Yeah. It's it's incredibly powerful. It's super effective. It leaves you stunned as you just watch these credits roll. Yeah, there's like, just because you're so used to typical Hollywood movies where you're like, maybe Becky will like recognize and get out. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. But I think I think for anybody watching this movie by now, you're like, you maybe have that in your head where like you another hope. movie would yeah. have it so that she gets away. No, dude, like, you know, she's toast. Yeah. And, and he doesn't even try to fucking hide it. He's like, it's the middle of the day when he ditches the body, mm-hmm. when he ditches the suitcase. He doesn't like put leaves on top of it he doesn't do anything it's there it has the gore and viscera like all over it just poking out and he drives away yeah and i don't know man i mean murder it seems like murders were fucking easy back in the day dude <laughs> easy to be a murderer it does seem like, that way you know you don't gotta clean up shit like <laughs> it's crazy um and on that note kate we've reached the point of the episode where we sum up why this is not just a good horror movie but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start things off. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we've said it a lot where it just feels so real. It resonates so much for you. I feel like especially if you are, if you're like a woman watching this, I, I think you, there are so many things that you'll recognize from just a lifetime of being told to be careful around dudes and to fucking check the backseat of your car and all this shit. Like, I think that this is really haunting for anyone, but especially for, for women watching. And yeah, I think the the actors give like they're so convincing and at every point their their like acting ability meets the realism of how it's shot like everything complements each each like element of the movie complements itself so well yeah. like the score is like sparse but like kind of deceptively so and then gets like more and more violent uh, and the way it's shot is like so personal and up close mm-hmm. And feels very real with the 16 millimeter and shit. And then the acting, like, you know, even when Otis is joking, like, there's very little, like, camp or comedy in this movie. And it just leaves you, like, resonates and leaves you with this, like, really haunting feeling where, like I said, you want to you wanna kind of leave it alone for a couple of years. But you appreciate what they're going for as far as, like, looking at themselves as filmmakers, looking at the film industry in general as, like, selling murdered teenagers back to you and Mm -hmm. stuff like that like uh yeah i just think it's it really unlike like you know i watch a lot of horror movies and it's like you said this one is really unlike any other i totally agree to me this is the best horror movie ever made because it is such an exercise in empathy not for henry but for henry's victims you know like you said this is especially terrifying for women to watch but even for men, this asks you to put yourself in their shoes where a Henry could be around any corner for you to consider what it might be like to be a woman walking around in a city like Chicago where, you know, maybe things could get a little dangerous and that could be in any city, you know, and that's the yeah. scary part is that it could be anywhere. I think that that is especially interesting, but the fact that it has the neon soaked streets of like a Michael Mann movie but it feels like the inverse side of that coin. You know, this is all grit and filth compared to the slickness of a Michael Mann movie. It feels so intense the entire way. Intense is the only way I can describe it because it is, you're just so laser focused on it. The feeling of dread of being part of Henry's escapades and seeing what's going to happen next. How can this movie possibly escalate any further? The whole time, Thank, like we said, thank God it's an hour and 22 because the whole time you are just feeling like shit. shit. (laughs) Yeah. It's really like distilled fucking scariness. There's a lot of movies where like violence to this degree happens or, you know, it's never cartoonish. It always feels like something that could really happen. They're never in some like, you know, like Belgian torture chamber for rich people or something like that. It's like never necessarily like about the torturiness of it it's like how close it is to you yeah how close how realistic it would be for you to be a victim of one of these people or maybe if you're like a person like otis who has like uh who doesn't have that many people in his world or like has like he just has very little like he you know his friends in jail are kind of all he has and you know maybe has these violent tendencies but he when they kill the hookers he's like no this is different Like, he can differentiate between maybe killing somebody in self-defense or whatever. They don't really go into why, you know, 
who he says he's killed before, mm-hmm. you know, he can kind of tell the difference between just like cold blooded murder and at least murder justified in some way in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. Him getting like coerced into doing this shit with him. I think that people can relate to that. Of course, not murder, but to, into doing something that you would regret mm-hmm. you know something like that i think is a very relatable feeling and yeah. and it sets this all up from so early on you know the very first scenes of the woman laying there just pale and framed by the green of the grass is a shock yeah. um yeah. and you know you have the birds chirping peacefully and everything but as you zoom out and you see the red blood you know it just it feels like a gut punch and totally. there are so many scenes of this that stick with you. The Coke bottle in the eye Dude. is something that will never leave me. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, imagining it being shattered and like with such force. Like you have to, you have to like for you have to, you need a lot of force for something to like <laughs> thick glass. <laughs> yeah, like you know what I mean. It's like uh, so you just imagine the violence of these things and uh, yeah, uh, and and like like you were saying. All of this doesn't really mean anything unless you have the director who's like actually trying to say something. Exactly. And that's what that's what makes this movie an artwork rather than just pure exploitation gore. Couldn't have said it better myself, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was thank you for such me. a delight and really helped to make a conversation about what is a very bleak movie. <laughs> Hopefully, enjoyable for people. A lot of- so uh please tell people where they can find you on social any shows or anything um you know tell people about your show the podcast uh i do all crap a hellboy podcast which if you're really into hellboy i think you'll enjoy a lot it's basically a book club where we talk about every single issue of hellboy starting from the beginning hell yeah pun intended um yeah hell yeah (laughs) dude i say it all the time on the show yeah or kate drawing stuff on instagram you can find me there i sometimes draw stuff and sometimes just post other stupid shit like my dog or whatever. Also great, um, though. Yeah. No, every, Everyone Thank loves you. a dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. You can also find uh, the Patreon under that name where there's all kinds of bonus episodes and stuff. Uh, we had a live legal thriller recently, which was a lot of fun. We also covered uh, the Resident Evil video game, uh, Resident Evil 2 video game, both the 1998 version and the 2019 version. Uh, so... That was fun. And that also awesome. got called the best horror movie of all time. So Yeah. <laughs> so it really um it's it's a fun time over there. We do stuff that doesn't necessarily fit the main feed, but still deserves a look at. So check that out over there for just a few bucks a month. And uh that's it for me. So uh, thanks again, Kate. Bye everyone. Yeah.